Today we're diving into the world of Cypress IO. You're about to discover the best practices that will elevate your testing game. Let's go. Cypress is all about writing effective, efficient, and maintainable code. But what are the best practices to make that happen? Let's explore them together using the official Cypress documentation. We're going to talk about writing and organizing tests, selecting elements, and some anti-patterns. Let's talk about organizing tests, logging in, and controlling state. So the anti-pattern here is sharing page objects, using your UI to log in, and not taking shortcuts. Keep in mind that automated software testing is not the same thing as manual testing. It is not meant to be, it is not meant to replace manual testing. It's simply meant to enhance manual testing, to do it in a faster manner, to get a faster feedback loop. And the way that we execute automated tests doesn't have to be the exact same way that we execute manual tests. So for example, if I open up these logging in recipes, from Cypress, which is probably one of the most commonly asked questions that I get whenever I'm running automation workshops or whenever I'm interacting with other community individuals is how to do programmatic authentication. And so Cypress has been kind enough to provide us with a bunch of different examples. You can see anywhere from basic auth to single sign-on or using JSON web token, one of the most commonly used authentication methods. and we can do all of that programmatically. What this ultimately means for us, instead of logging in through the user interface, which is fast, which is slow, brittle, complicated, we can use a better authentication me mechanism such as one of these. For a JSON web token, for example, what we can do is basically do a web request that's going to generate us a bare token. Using that bare token, we feed that into our application and now we are automatically authenticated. I have an entire tutorial on how to do programmatic authentication. You can check that out up here. If you wanna see an open source example of a real web application that does programmatic authentication as well as application state control, you can check out the Cypress real world app which is right here, built, maintained by the team. It does a lot of really cool stuff, like even seeding a database, which they basically create dummy automation data that they can use for their automated testing. They clean up the state using the database um, and numerous other techniques that you can use to control the application state so that you don't have to go from screen to screen to screen in order to ultimately validate the end user behavior that you want. What about selecting elements? What is the ideal way to do this in Cypress and some other automated testing technologies? Well, as you'll see here, there's an anti-pattern of avoiding highly brittle selectors that are subject to change and instead using data dash attributes to provide context to the selectors and make sure they don't change as a result of CSS or JavaScript changes. You might be asking, what are the brittle locators. Well, those are identified down here. You'll see don't target elements based on CSS attributes such as ID, class, and tag. Yes, these can actually change because for example, setting a class name of a CSS attribute may imply a specific styling for an HTML element. And so you wanna avoid all of these. 
You want to avoid elements that may change their text content as well. And so the ideal way to do this is to use data dash attributes to make it easier to target elements. What does that actually mean in practice? Well, let's take a look. Let's come over here and inspect this dummy application, saucedemo.com. You'll, by the way, see that this application already has data dash attributes, right? We could already have a data dash test attribute and it has a username. These attributes are not relevant to HTML and will have no impact on our application. However, they're very useful to do automated testing. We can specify data dash anything. Another common one I've seen is data dash test ID, right? So for example, I don't know if this element has a data dash attribute, it doesn't. And for example, if we did want to make it unique, we would come to our HTML and we could set something like this. And so now it has a unique attribute called passwords that we can use in order to target this string here. It's very easy to do. And if you have access to the source code, it's extremely powerful. And if you don't have access to the source code, you can simply ask the developer, give them the element that you want to make a change to, let them know what you want to change it to, and then they can make that happen and easily improve your automated software testing. There are also some anti-patterns that we need to be aware of in order to have even better automation. Using an after or after each hook is actually really interesting and it's totally new to me. I never thought about it before until I read the Cypress documentation and it totally makes sense. They talk about the better thing to do is to clean up the state before the tests run. So why you wanna avoid putting code in the after blocks is that ultimately there is no guarantee that the code in the after each hook will actually execute. Let's say something happens to your process and it gets shut down for some reason or uh, stopped prematurely, then what's gonna happen is in this example, if you're trying to reset the database, your database is gonna be left in a bad state. And so what you wanna ensure is put it into a before each hook to reset the database to ensure that that code is always running. And so this is what the code would look like if you were actually wanting to reset the databases, you would reset it before in a before or before each hook. And then another question that might come up is whether resetting the state is actually necessary. Well, that really depends on you. If a test that's downstream depends on a state of a database from upstream tests, you should probably clean up the state of the test. Furthermore, if you don't wanna be filling your database with junk users, such as automated testers, the ideal practice is to be cleaning up those automated users as you're using them. And as I previously mentioned, check out how the Cypress real world app does this. And before each hook, they have a Cypress task called dbseed, and that executes the appropriate actions that will see the database with appropriate information to do automated testing. Next, we've got to talk about a very controversial anti-pattern, which is creating tiny tests with a single insertion. Now, according to Cypress, acting like you're writing unit tests is not the right way to write our end-to-end -end tests. Now, this is very controversial because in other 
programming languages using other technologies. This is actually the pattern. For example, if you're using something like Selenium, this is definitely the pattern because you want your automated tests to be as small as possible so they can be focused, they can be fast, they can run in parallel, and you can run many of them in parallel because ultimately the feedback loop of your entire automated test suite, if you can run in parallel, is as slow as your slowest test. And so if you have large end-to-end -end tests, your test suite will be as slow as that test, assuming parallelization is limitless. However, in Cypress, there's actually a performance degradation whenever it comes to resetting tests, uh, then adding more assertions. And so in Cypress, you will always know and see which assertions failed in a large test, right? We got there, we got the Cypress runner that will always show us which assertion failed and why. And Cypress, nearly every command has a default assertion and therefore can fail. Hence what that ultimately means is that you will pretty much know exactly which command failed and why. And so you're not actually saving yourself anything because any sing single command could implicitly fail, which is different from other testing libraries, such as I mentioned, such as Selenium or WebDriver.io, where not every command has an implicit assertion. And so what sometimes may happen is an assertion that fails is ultimately the result of some upstream command that actually failed. And so you need to do a lot more debugging. And so with Cypress, they say, ultimately, go ahead, write more assertions. That's not a problem. And this is what your test should look like from the previous example. This last one is one of my biggest pet peeves, and I'm so frustrated because I still see it to this day. So let's talk about stopping the fact that we have tests rely on the outcome of other tests and figure out how to make our automation better. Having tests that rely on the state of previous tests is one of the worst things that we can absolutely do in automated software testing. The reason why is that we will never be able to run our automated tests independently. And so it means that if you want to run test two, that depends on test one, you will not be able to do so because you have to execute test one first, which sets up the state of our application in order to be able to run test two. And so not only does that make our testing inefficient because we don't want to run all our tests all the time, it also makes it impossible to run automated tests in parallel because when we run in parallel, all the tests needs to be able to execute independently. And so when they rely on each other, that's impossible. And even worse is that test two will fail if test one fails. And so if test one was supposed to set up the state of our application in order for test two to work and test one fails, test two automatically fails incorrectly. So let's stop that today and let's talk about how to do that better. In Cypress, it's pretty easy to make a test run only by itself. You can use the it.only command to drop on your test and then that test will execute independently. And if that test passes, Congratulations, you've written a good test. One thing to talk about is maybe to understand why do individuals want to link their tests? 
Well, here on the screen, you can see a perfect example. We've written little tiny atomic tests that perform only a single operation, such as it requires first name, it requires last name, and it can submit a valid form. However, if any of these two tests fail, you cannot submit a form, and so that third test will fail as well. And so even though this pattern is small right now, this is the reason why individuals want to link tests together is because they'll have some kind of larger test that performs some relevant operations that they want to reuse in the next test, ultimately hoping to get a faster feedback loop from their entire suite. And so then they make their tests rely on another. Why should I have to rewrite all of this automation code in order to be able to perform a single line of code. That is the logic. However, by that logic, you can simply put all your code into a single test and make that single test run independently. But you might have the issue, oh, I am repeating so much code. I'm copying and pasting. I shouldn't do that. Well, if you use the right abstractions, such as something like the page object model, now you're not really duplicating that much code. You're only going to duplicate the code that's necessary to emulate the end-to-end -end behavior of the user, which is ultimately what you want anyway. Your test should represent the end-to-end -end behavior of the user. And so if it looks like that, that's totally correct because you want your test to be readable and then perform the actions of the end-to-end -end user. And then the other argument that I hear is, but my test is going to be really slow because my test is already five minutes long just to get to this form that I want to fill out. And before that, I have to do five minutes worth of steps. Well, my friend, that to me sounds like an issue that we talked about in the beginning of organizing tests, logging in, and controlling app state. Our application needs to be testable. A testable application means is that rather than going through 20 screens in order to get to a single screen where we want to do one single validation, we should be able to do that through something like an API, right? We should be able to hit an API, fill up a database with information, get that information back, pull up the web page in question, and then perform the operations necessary. Now, I also know that that's not always possible in all cases. Being a previous solutions architect that's worked with hundreds of clients all across the globe for many years, I know that it depends. It depends on your environment. It depends on your workplace. Some large organizations, they have legacy apps that were not built with testability in mind. And so a lot of the things that I'm talking about are not even possible. There's no API to hit. You can only navigate through the UI. And in that case, I have a few options for you. Option number one is work with the developers to make your application testable. It will be, it will be a long process. It will be painful. You will need to keep pushing. You will need to keep encouraging and you'll need to keep making it better. I'm sorry to tell you, that's part of our job if we want to do automated testing really well. Option number two is to not do so much automated UI testing. If our automated UI testing is going to be really long, what it tells me right away is that it's going to be unstable. It's going to be flaky. You're going to get a lot of false positives. 
and you're going to spend a lot of time maintaining that automated testing code. Us maintaining automated testing code is not serving the business a lot of value. Let's be honest. We're not paid to automate, to maintain code. We are paid to prevent risks and to provide a visibility into the quality of the application in as fast of a manner as possible. And so that's our role. And so in that case, I would have as few automated UI tests as possible, making sure that the critical flows are covered. The automated UI tests have to be as stable as possible with 99% and above pass rate. And after that, I'll figure out how to make myself useful in doing automation in other areas of the application or, or the organization. So there you have it, folks, a comprehensive guide to Cypress best practices. Following these guidelines will make you more robust, efficient, and maintainable. Want to explore more? Check out the official Cypress documentation down below. And if you enjoy this content, give it a thumbs up, comment below on anything you agree or disagree with, and hit the subscribe button so that I know to generate more content. Thank you so much for tuning in. It's been such a pleasure. I've been Nikolai Velotkin on the Test Automation Experience. See you next time. Hey, and thank you so much for tuning into the Test Automation Experience. If you enjoyed the show, please don't forget to give the show a thumbs up, subscribe down below. And if you have any questions about what you saw, any comments, comment below. I respond to every single comment. And thanks so much for your time and see you next time.